This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language and mature themes. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 257. Hello, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. Each week, I share a piece of my fiction with you, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you the latest on my writing endeavors. So let's get started, shall we? Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 31 of my Metamore City erotic fantasy, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, our heroes attended the Bridger Heights Metakima Potluck, together with the young people they had helped, Chase, Emily, and Janet. While there, Emily and Janet started recruiting additional young people who might be interested in being fed on by an incubus. As Lisa pointed out to Chase, Emily watched him almost starve himself. She's going to make sure that he never goes hungry again. Lisa also confessed that she and Sam are going to start attending the Tomleys Hedonist Home Group. Lisa still loves Sam deeply, but the truth is, she's getting a little bored, sexually speaking. Spending time with the Hedonists will give them a chance to ease Sam into the idea of consensual non-monogamy. To Lisa's surprise, John burst out laughing, because Lisa had just proven what he told Kate back in Chapter 4. Deep down, nobody is boring, and the ones who seem to be boring are hiding their wild sides, either from the world or from themselves. Kate reluctantly admitted that she had lost their bet, and their New Year's Eve dinner at the Panoramic is on her. After the potluck, John, Kate, and the young people went back to the Catane's house to get ready for the homecoming dance. John took Chase into the guest bedroom, where the Lightbringer's essence chamber was waiting for him. Inside was all the essence he had lost to the Lust Storm, power that Kate has been carrying ever since. John explained that if Chase takes it back, his Daedra powers will grow stronger, but that will also mean that he'll have to feed more often. Chase decided not to run from what he is anymore, and took back the essence. Taking in this chunk of Suspira's power immediately left Chase terribly aroused, and as Chase discovered when he ran to the bathroom, masturbation doesn't help when an incubus is hungry. Fortunately, Emily and Janet were more than willing to provide him with a little snack. Homecoming, A Tale of Metamore City Written in Red by Chris Lester. Chapter 31 John waited downstairs in the living room, 
close enough that he would sense it if Chase ran into trouble, but far enough away to give the young people a measure of privacy. He stretched out on the couch and browsed the news application on his phone. Miko came up to him, nuzzled his face, then lay down next to the couch. John absently petted the monster dog's head and scratched behind his ears while he read. The events at the vicar's house had caused some aftershocks in the Ellentown area. All of the men whom the Lightbringers had rescued from the lust storm were taken in by the police for questioning, both about Kate's video and about the other accusations Janet had raised about the pastor. Two of the men had apparently cracked under interrogation and confirmed aspects of Janet's story. In response, two girls at the church had come forward with their own allegations of sexual misconduct, and it was strongly hinted that others might soon follow. The real Michael Tannerly had been questioned about what he was doing in Littlefield. Understandably, he denied everything, and was quick to condemn Vickers and his associates as obvious sexual degenerates who had fallen away from the true faith. The episode had thrown the whole Redeemer denomination into an uproar, one that was unlikely to die down any time soon. Maybe this will keep them too busy to make other people miserable for a while, John thought. Upstairs, the door to a bedroom opened. Miko perked up and started wagging his tail. John heard the sound of footsteps on the stairs and looked up. Kate stepped into view, and the sight of her took John's breath away. She had curled her hair, so it fell in silky auburn ringlets all around her ears. She had put on more makeup than usual, using mascara, dark eyeliner, and a sparkly purple eyeshadow that made her eyes look large and full of sensual hunger. She had put pearl earrings in her ears and six-centimeter heels on her feet. But it was the dress that truly stole the show. The body of it was made from a sheer elastic fabric that hugged her athletic frame from bust to mid-thigh, showing off every curve and muscle. Her chest and pelvic area were covered by countless glossy black florets, connected by dark, swirling patterns that resembled leaves and branches. A series of thin, vertical stripes, made from the same black fabric, ran the length of her back and abdomen, tying the garment together aesthetically and accentuating the shapely lines of her body. It was a daring garment, only one step above lingerie in what it concealed. John had seen clothes like it on the red carpet at the big awards shows, but he'd never imagined Kate wearing anything like it. He felt himself getting hard as she sauntered toward him, a sensual smile on her lips. "'What do you think?' she asked, her voice husky with desire. John abruptly realized his mouth was hanging open. He closed it, cleared his throat, then managed, "'Wow!' Kate's smile grew wider, showing a flash of white, even teeth. That's what I was going for. Miko got up and went over to her, tail wagging enthusiastically. He sniffed her up and down, and she ruffled his fur and told him he was a good boy. John took advantage of the opportunity to stand up and walked over to face her. With Kate in those heels, she was a couple of centimeters taller than he was, and that turned him on even more. Nudging Miko gently out of the way, he put his hands on her hips and pulled her close to him. Her lips met his, her arms wrapped around his back, and she pressed her body close against him.
Kate giggled through their kiss. Somebody's excited to see me. She thrust her hips against him, pressing against his erection. Can you blame him? John asked. Damn, remind me to give Henri a tip. I'm sure he'd let you give him more than the tip, Kate said dryly, stroking the outline of his cock for emphasis. John kissed her again, then gave her a mock serious look. You're going to get our nice clothes all messy, he chided. Hmm, fair point. Kate looked him up and down, and her tongue darted quickly over her lips. But part of me still wants to. Wow. Thank you, John said. We've got a few minutes. Can I show you some dance steps? Yes. Kate sighed dramatically, but the twinkle in her eyes told him that she was only doing it for effect. Everyone's going to be looking at me. I'd better not embarrass myself. John grinned. All right, then. Let's start with the basics. As it turned out, John and Kate had time for a full-fledged lesson. It was at least half an hour before Chase, Emily, and Janet came tromping down the stairs. Chase had a new spring in his step and looked sharp in a black dress shirt and slacks, the latter of which his mother had altered to include a hole for his tail. He had a bright red tie, which was tied surprisingly well for a kid his age, and a matching pocket square. His blonde hair was slicked back, his face was freshly shaven, and his horns stood out small but proud above his forehead. Emily and Janet, by contrast, both had the relaxed, dozy look of humans who had been fed on, and had racked up a sizable number of orgasms in the process. Emily's dress was black and white in an abstract, asymmetrical pattern, and covered with sequins that flashed and glittered as she moved. Her finished makeup was light and rosy, with pink lip gloss and just a hint of eyeshadow. Janet's borrowed outfit was a simple halter dress of deep blue satin, but it fell to just a few centimeters above her knees and showed off her long, shapely arms and legs to gorgeous effect. She also wore metallic blue eyeshadow and dark eyeliner and mascara, a dramatic look that stood out sharply against her dark brown skin. Glossy maroon lipstick made her broad lips look full, inviting, and kissable. Both women wore heels, but Emily's were significantly taller, presumably because she didn't have much height to start with. Look at you guys, Kate said, clapping her hands together in appreciation. Oh, you clean up nice. The young people all grinned at this praise and gave John and Kate their own admiring looks. Chase stepped forward and offered his hand to John, who shook it firmly. Thank you for all your help, Chase said, looking him in the eye with newfound confidence. I don't think I would have gotten through this without you. John's heart swelled. He imagined this scene playing out with his own children in the years to come, seeing them come into their power, unashamed of who and what they were. After a moment, he pulled Chase into a hug, thumping him warmly on the back. You did good, man, he said, his voice suddenly thick with emotion. You did good. Chase seemed surprised, but not displeased by John's show of affection. After a moment, he broke the hug and turned to Kate. Thank you for the illusion, he said, gesturing up at his human-toned skin and eyes. 
but I don't want to hide who I am anymore. My mom was right. I have been given a gift, and I shouldn't be ashamed of it. He looked over his shoulder at Emily and Janet, and a dopey grin spread across his face. It feels good to make people feel so good. Emily and Janet came up on either side of him then, each of them taking one of his hands in their own. Emily held his hand up to her chest and smiled at him. Like the Universalists say, be what you are. Amen to that, Janet said, and kissed Chase's cheek. Kate looked back and forth between the three of them, both amused and touched. You've got some good people in your life, Chase. She slashed her hand through the air in front of him, and the illusion melted away, revealing his red-hued skin, dark hair, and amber eyes. Take good care of him, all right? I will. Chase looked down at his hands, intertwined with Emily's paler hand and Janet's darker one. He curled his tail into view, and it coiled gently around Janet's arm, which seemed to take both of them by surprise. With a sparkle of mischief in her eyes, Janet brought it up to her lips and kissed it. Chase let out a soft, Oh, in response, which made Janet's mouth widen into a grin. Oh, this has possibilities, she purred. Later, Kate said. Right now, we've got a party to get to. It had been a long time since John had been to a high school dance, but the Bridger Heights homecoming managed to live up, or down, to all of his expectations. There was the huge gymnasium with the bad acoustics, the cheap decorations made mostly of balloons, repurposed Yule lights, and a few kilometers of crepe paper, the motorized club lighting filling the dance floor with an ever-shifting array of gaudy colors, the lukewarm pizza, party subs, punch bowls full of chips and other salty snacks, and far too many sugary sodas, and the DJ playing songs that the young people wanted to listen to, which mostly meant nothing more than two years old. There was the cluster of girls dancing in a circle. There, the nerds and shy kids hanging out against the wall. There, the boys who sat joking and occasionally hitting each other, because all of them were too scared to be the one to ask for a dance and get turned down. But there were also plenty of young couples who did make use of the dance floor, their fervent teenage attraction crackling between them in John's supernatural senses. Some of them were awkward, showing their desire for one another in shy smiles and clumsy compliments. Others were almost painfully uninhibited, turning their dances into public makeout sessions, even without any encouragement from John. And because it was homecoming, there were older folks out there too. College students like Emily, who still had friends who hadn't graduated, adult alumni who still lived in town or were visiting for the holiday, like Kate, and assorted parents, teachers, and other grown-ups with ties to the school. These adults mostly ignored the young people around them, except for the occasional warning hissed in the ears of some couple that had gotten a little too suggestive. John and Kate mostly danced with each other, but they stayed within earshot of Chase, in case anyone gave him any trouble about his infernal appearance. To be sure, there were a few dirty looks thrown his way, and some people who pointedly stalked to the other side of the room when he came close, 
but for the most part, John was pleasantly surprised. Everyone in the school knew about Chase's mysterious, months-long illness. Now that the reason for that illness was revealed, a lot of people were just relieved that he was going to be okay, and said so. To be honest, I feel better than I ever have, Chase admitted, while chatting with a group of his teammates. I can't wait to see what I can do on the court now. Janet cuffed him playfully on the shoulder. I'll bet I can still make more goals than you. Chase caught her hand and kissed her knuckles. I'm game. We can talk later about what I get if I win. He waggled his eyebrows suggestively. Janet rolled her eyes, but she grinned when she did it. You're gonna get that anyway. Chase's transformation also sparked a lot of questions. Some crude, many just curious, and some that were decidedly intrigued. Chase fielded this interrogation with good humor, confidence, and grace, which John thought was probably due, in large part, to the two young women at his side. Emily and Janet were openly proud of their charge, and seemed impervious to all attempts to embarrass them. "'You sound like you're jealous,' Emily said to their detractors, on more than one occasion. "'But you don't have to be. We're nice. We can share.' "'We love sharing,' Janet agreed. And then she and Emily would take turns kissing Chase, or they would kiss each other, and their critics would quickly find themselves drowned out by their supporters. John and Kate kept a discreet distance from all of these clumsy attempts at social maneuver. These weren't their battles to fight, and in any case, the young people were doing fine without them. Instead, they kept their eyes and ears open for more serious threats, like the parents who tried to have Chase thrown out of the event for public indecency. Their evidence for this consisted solely of the fact that teenagers were dancing suggestively, making out, and occasionally groping each other. Proof, they insisted, of Chase's infernal influence, at least where their own blameless offspring were concerned. In reality, both John and Chase were being careful not to release any essence into the event. Chase's control of this was still shaky, especially when attractive young people were flirting with him. But when he failed, Kate stepped in, siphoning off the escaped essence before it could cause any problems. John was impressed at how quickly she had become adept at manipulating supernatural energies. The Star Child's gift indeed. Kate would hold on to the power until a quieter moment presented itself, whereupon she would channel it back into Chase. She was careful to do this as often as possible lest a build-up of Daedric energy create any changes in her own body. As much fun as it was being a succubus, she said, this dress does not have room for a tail. Or other things, Emily said, winking. So John and Kate ran interference with the parents and chaperones, reassuring them that Chase was up to no mischief. John's word was of questionable value in this, since he wasn't a local and had no ties to the school, but his characteristic wit and charm succeeded in winning over most of the adults. Kate was less artful in diplomacy. Her partner David had once likened her to an enthusiastic herding dog. Bold, cheerful, and energetic, but aggressive when her people were threatened. On the other hand, she had the hometown connection— as well as her clout as a licensed wizard and a decorated police officer. 
Eventually, Sam and Lisa showed up too, and they did more than anyone else to put the grown-ups' minds at ease. Sam was apparently beloved at the school, and Lisa was a respected businesswoman who seemed to know everyone in town. Between them, they kept the fears and hang-ups of the older folks from impinging on Chase's coming-out celebration. Toward the end of the evening, after most of the grown-ups had headed off to bed, Kate found John standing by the food tables, watching as Chase and Janet did a slow dance together. Emily had found a cute boy closer to her own height, and they were off on the opposite side of the dance floor. John recognized the boy as one of the shy, nerdy kids who had been hanging out against the wall for most of the night. Now, he was watching Emily's face with a ridiculously wide smile, as if he couldn't believe his luck. Kate slid in next to John, resting her weight against his hip. John's arm slid around her waist automatically, holding her close. She touched her head lightly against his. "'You've been quiet,' she observed, covering his hand with her own. "'Everything okay?' John shrugged. "'Incredibly, yes. I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. Some big showdown against the forces of hate and intolerance or something.' Kate chuckled. "'What, rescuing Janet from the Redeemers wasn't enough for you?' Okay, sure, John conceded. But, I don't know. Part of me is still expecting the crowd of villagers with the torches and pitchforks. He smirked. Or maybe the end of that one movie, where the bad guys come looking for the hero, and every member of the town stands up in his place. That was sort of my best-case scenario. Kate turned around to look at him, her eyes warm with sympathy. You never got that moment for yourself. You had to sneak out in the dead of night, never tell anyone who you were or where you came from. She gestured at Chase, out on the dance floor. You couldn't have this, being yourself, out and proud and unafraid. John sighed and looked down at the floor. Yeah. She leaned in, turned his face toward hers, and kissed him lightly on the lips. Chase doesn't need a big heroic moment from you. He just needed a chance to be himself, and the hope to believe his life was worth living. You gave him that. She paused, then added, I'm not saying he's never going to be in danger again, that he'll never face the kind of prejudice you did. But you got him off to a good start. She gestured expansively, taking in the loose group of friends and allies who surrounded Chase and Janet on the dance floor. And he's not alone. Just like I'm not alone. John thought about the network of relationships that surrounded him. About Kate and Morgan and his sister, Misty. Now he had some more names to add to that list. Sam and Lisa and Henri and Emily and Chase and Janet and, hells, maybe even Nazreen Kashani. Friends and family. Not people he owed something to like Mistress Jasmine, or people he cared about but couldn't contact, like Delilah Velasco and Isabel. Just people who enjoyed having him in their lives, and whom he wanted to keep in his. Chase had that, too. He'll be okay. John ran his hand gently down the bare skin of Kate's back. She leaned into the touch, almost purring with enjoyment. 
He caught her eye and nodded to the dance floor. One more before we call it a night, he asked. Smiling, she took his hand, and together they walked out under the swirling lights. And that's the end of Chapter 31. Come back next week for the conclusion of Homecoming, when John gets some important questions answered. Susanna Clark said, When you're writing, you're creating something out of nothing. A successful piece of writing is like doing a successful piece of magic. So, light the candles and step into the circle with me. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of October 3rd through October 9th. I wrote 4,894 words this week, over the course of 7.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 653 words per hour. As of Friday night, I have gone 175 days without breaking my chain. This was my first really good week of writing in at least a month. I got four nice long lunch breaks during the week, Monday through Thursday, where I was able to sit down and focus on the story. I let the characters take the lead, tried to really listen to what they had to tell me, and they took me in some surprising directions. First, Honor and Natasha had tea with Alex's androgyne mother, who turned out to be very perceptive. Noble Yasmin Toscano Townsend was a lot of fun for me to write, and I'm expecting them to continue making life interesting for our protagonists as the series goes on. After that, Honor took a piece of Yasmin's advice to heart, and had a shockingly honest conversation with Natasha. This was the first declaration of love from both of our heroines, but it also revealed how they are still mismatched, because they are holding on to their masks, the roles that society expects them to fulfill. Honor has told Natasha what she needs, and also what she's afraid of if she gets it. And Natasha's not sure if she can be what Honor wants her to be. This isn't exactly how I thought this moment would come when we got here, and I'm very interested to see how it plays out. I'm now in chapter 25, and the manuscript is over 65,000 words. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvette Press. The show is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.